Hey, if uh, this is your first time visiting, <clears throat> I'm Jeff. I'm one of the elders. Pastor Ronnie's on vacation in uh, July, so I'm going to be filling his spot for the next uh, several weeks. And we're going to take a, a look this month, a closer look at Jesus. Uh, the reason I kind of chose to go this route is, you know, I noticed for many of us, self-included, it's easier to connect our faith to the church we attend than it is Jesus sometimes, right? We become very familiar with how we do things, what songs we sing, when to stand up, when to sit down, and we can miss the object of our faith, which is Christ. So this month we're taking a closer look at Jesus. Last week we looked at the person of Jesus. And I shared uh, something with you that I wanna go over again. And that's this, if you look at Jesus's life, you'll observe this pattern <clears throat> regularly. First, in Jesus's life, he would always engage with people and invite them to come and see who he was. And that was a pattern. If you read your scriptures in the New Testament, Jesus was always inviting people into his life to see who he was. Last week, the uh, person of Christ was uh, my attempt to show you that when people came and began to initially encounter Christ, he began to share who he was as the Messiah of the world. And so we looked at Jesus being eternal, we looked at Jesus being savior, we looked at Jesus being sovereign. Well, when people would come and see the next step, those who were interested would um, be invited to come be with Jesus. So it was come see who he is, now come be with me. In other words, when they understood who Jesus was or were interested even, the next step, the next pattern was connect with Jesus and learn from him. And so he would invest in people, teaching them who he was and how he lived his life. And so the come be with me piece was learn from Jesus. They would watch how he prayed. They would watch how he used God's word. They would watch how he worshiped. They spent life with Jesus. And so this morning is uh, going to be the come in, be with me phase. And you might be thinking, this is crazy. How are you going to do that in one message? And I'm not sure I know myself. But I thought this. It would be easy to pick a couple of components of what Jesus taught them as they came and were with him. But the truth is, it always boiled down to one simple thing Jesus was teaching his followers. One simple thing. And that is, what's the value you're willing to put on your relationship with God? What's the value of the relationship we are to have with God? Well, obvious answer is everything. But that's not so easy to answer, is it? And so we're going to look at um, an encounter Jesus had this morning with religious leaders that point them to this one priority in Jesus's life that he passed on to his followers. We'll take a look at this in a few minutes. I was thinking those, we got ready to start, what would be a good illustration for this and, and it's this, in about six weeks, we're gonna happen into the most wonderful time of the year. Not Christmas, obviously. It's football season. 
Yeah, right? Football season starts in like six weeks and we've waited so long until this happens again. And for many of us, it is a wonderful time of the year. Saturdays, Sundays, weeknights filled with football games, right? And if you like Ohio State, especially, you start to get all pumped up. What's the season gonna look like? And everybody gets all excited, right? And you can tell by how excited and the value people place on football by observing their actions. You ever seen the guy they call the big nut? He's got a Buckeye necklace and he's painted all up and it's like, well, that's pretty serious, I guess, about the football team. And then as the season progresses, you, you notice the student section, uh, it, it'll start to get cold and everybody's wearing coats, but a lot of people take the shirt off, paint their body, and you think, that, that's crazy, you know? But they're serious about watching football and rooting their team on. Here's the connection before I go too far. The formula I want you to notice the value or worth you place on something is revealed in your priorities and your passions. Let me say it again. The value or worth you place on something is observed in your passions and your priorities. There's no disconnect to say, I love this and this is really important to me, but yet your life doesn't show it. So we all struggle in the same area of life, and that is to have placed the right value and worth on a relationship with God. We, we battle that. How much value and worth do you place on a relationship with God will be observable in your passions and your priorities. No disconnect. Now, why do we battle with that? I want to set this up a little bit by reminding us of everything that happened back in Genesis. Remember, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates them to have a relationship with him. But Satan disguises himself, comes in, and begins to tempt them with what? A distraction, a question. Does God really need to hold the highest value in your life. That's what they wrestled with. And so Satan tempts them and he says, did God really say, and is God really worth all of this? And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But the bottom line for them is God really worth everything where you're willing to obey him and your life and your actions will reflect that. Well, they didn't. That's called sin. I rebelled against God. They said, you're not really that high of a value. You know, I don't place that high of a worth on living exclusively for you. And that sin that happens still reigns in our own hearts and draws us away. And so we battle to place the right worth and value on a relationship with God. Today's passage reveals Jesus confronting people on the value they have in a relationship with God. Here's the scene before we read the passage. 
This is actually Jesus' uh, last week. He enters Jerusalem, the triumphal entrance, and uh, he goes into the temple area, as we'll see this morning, and he's teaching. And all the religious leaders are looking for ways to trick him. They're all coming at him with all kinds of questions, some pretty silly, but they're looking for a way to discredit Christ and make him look like a fool. Well, after he answers all these questions, silences them, well, like, no surprise for us, right? One religious leader, one group especially, notices Jesus' answers pretty well. And so they come to him and they begin to ask him this question. What is the most important thing I must do to be right with God? Think about that. That's the question. What's the thing? Boil it down, Jesus. Make this simple. Just tell me the one thing that I need to obey to be right with you and to know God is happy with me. Why did he answer the way he answers that we'll discover in a moment? Why, when they ask him what is the one thing, Jesus answers in a different way than they expect? Here's what's behind their question. The religious leaders were uh, good at creating rules and laws from Scripture. And they'd come up with 613 different laws that you had to obey if you're truly a follower of Christ. Well, 613 is a lot. So they decided, well, maybe that's, we need to divide these up a little bit. So we'll make 365 um, more serious than the other 200 and some. I can't do math this quick. So 365 are more serious than the others. That's remarkably one for each day of the year. And they just want to know, out of all of these, what's the one thing that I need to make sure I do, the one thing in obeying God, so I can kind of like jot this down and carry it with me. Their question was really about rules instead of intent. Their question was about what do I need to do instead of who do I need to worship and love? What's the value I'm willing to place on my relationship with God? Hear this for a moment. The self-righteous attempt by man requires some sort of keeping score, doesn't it? A self-righteous attempt by you and I will require us to keep some kind of score to know if we're doing what we're supposed to do. Jesus says, you really get the question wrong to be truthful with you. That's not even the right question because the question is a question of worth, a question of value on your relationship with God. If you're not there yet, turn with me to Mark chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It's a very common verse of Scripture called the Great Commandment. 
parallel passage in Matthew chapter 22. There's also a parallel passage in Luke chapter 10, but sequentially it looks more like that might have been a different encounter that Jesus had when he uses the scriptures this way. Let's read together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Again, Jesus had just been answering a bunch of questions. And seeing that he, meaning Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, he answered him wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus answers the question by the religious leaders by repeating something they already knew. This verse, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, first appears back in Deuteronomy chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses, as he's speaking to the people, said, you are to teach this to your children. When they rise up, when they lie down, when they walk along the road, you yourself are to make this something that you repeat in the morning and you repeat in the night. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As a matter of fact, people became so committed to this, faithful Jews would try and repeat this the moment of their death. Now, is there anything wrong with this? Absolutely not. But it can become a ritual, can it? I know the right words to say, but that doesn't mean I have the right heart in saying them. But Jesus does another thing. He connects another verse, Leviticus 19, which says this, don't seek revenge or hold a grudge against people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus combines two verses that would have been known very well to say this is the most important thing. That's an interesting question and an interesting answer. Because in one way, he didn't give an answer, did he? What's the one thing you must do? You know, they knew the law real well. Well, you know, wash ceremonially this way. Um, make sure you acknowledge the Lord God and there is no other God. You know, all the things they knew, you could kind of do a check mark. Tell me how you check mark this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's pretty tough, right? 
because it's infinite and it requires everything because it comes from a relationship that you place extreme value and worth on, meaning your relationship with God. The focus of Jesus' answer, the greatest thing is a life of pursuit of a deep, loving relationship with God. The greatest thing, he says, is a never-ending devotion and commitment to God. Jesus would live his whole life with his followers modeling this and teaching them that that was the priority, that was the thing you're supposed to do in life. And here's how those that listened to this would have understand what he was saying. I want to walk through this verse a little bit with you. But one of the challenges is this. Words have meaning and different words have different meaning culturally and over time some, sometimes, right? Here's what I mean. If I say, um, watch the weight, I might mean you're going to have to uh, look at something and wait. Or it could mean, Jeff, watch your weight. Don't eat the donuts after the service. But when Jesus used this very familiar phrase, here's how those around him would have heard it. Remember, he's in the temple area, lots of people hearing. The first, when he would have said, hear, O Israel, they would have understand the word hear didn't mean just to listen. To hear meant to obey, to believe in something so specifically, when it's spoken, you take it in and you believe it to the point of living it out in action. So it's saying, hey, hear this, if you were a follower and a believer of God, do the things I'm going to repeat after this. And then he says, the Lord is one. The language used by saying the Lord is one also means this, that the Lord, the Lord alone, the Lord only is your God. There is no other God. So be reminded, hear this, obey this, the Lord and the Lord alone is your God. And you know what that requires? Complete, total allegiance. Complete, total allegiance. He goes on, he says, so love the Lord, your God, with all. And then he mentions some things we'll look at. This type of love that Jesus expresses when he repeats this, the people would have understand this is not some emotional kind of love, not some kind of temporary emotion or affection that is fleeting. The type of love that Jesus refers to by using this word is a very personal love. You notice what he says, love the Lord your God. If you don't know your God, if you don't know the one and only God, I might say this morning, it will be impossible for you to truly love God. 
he says, here, obey the Lord, the only God. He is to be the object of your complete love. It means that it requires a loyalty to God. And remember what I said earlier, if, if we truly place a high value and worth on something like a relationship with God, we'll see it. We'll see it in passions and priorities. So Jesus said, look, the most important thing is to love the Lord, your God, with a sacrificial love. Not a mental agreement, but a sacrificial love that submits and obeys and walks with your God. Well, then he lays out four different ways that we are to love the Lord our God. First, he says, with all your heart. To love the Lord with all your heart is not only with emotions, but it includes the very center of your life, your very being. They would have understood that. The heart controls our feelings, our passions, our emotions, and our desires. It includes our thoughts and the things we focus on. So loving God with all your heart would mean our actions and our decisions will reflect it. So love with all your heart, your very being. Love with all your soul. It means to love God with your life as long as you have breath. Love the Lord your God as long as you have breath. It means a person who loves God does so with their energy and their devotion throughout their life, not short term, but a pattern and a priority of loving God forever. And that only happens through relationship, not tasks. Or third, he says, with all your mind, that means to love God in the way you think and you process life. It means we love God by submitting our thought patterns to him, our opinions and our decisions because of the high value we place on a relationship with God. And finally, he says, with all your strength. That means to literally love God with all your muchness. It means to love God with everything else. Nothing left out. Loving God with everything you possess. Loving God with the way you treat your family, with your money, with your time, everything else that's not included in heart, soul, and mind. Jesus leaves nothing out. And so he says to those listening, the most important thing for everyone is this. Make sure the value and worth of having a relationship with God is the thing everyone can see. Make sure that when you look at your life, heart, soul, mind, and strength in loving God is pretty observable. So we have to rid ourselves of asking the question the religious leaders ask. And I think their question was more this, what's the minimum thing I have to do? What's the least thing I have to do to make sure God will be happy with me? Isn't that what they were asking? 
What's the one thing? Let's, let's boil it down. If, if that's the most important thing, then that's really all I have to do. And Jesus confronts them with that. And then finally, he connects another verse of scripture I shared in Leviticus to it. Funny, the religious leaders didn't ask for more than one, but he connects two. And he says, loving others is also important. Loving people, he says, requires you then to place a high value on people the way God places value on people. And he really says there's no option. You can't separate these two. They're, they're one. They go together. And he was getting at we love others because Jesus loved us before we loved him. And Jesus being the model for people and those who followed him would be the example of forgiveness and grace and mercy and long-suffering with other people. No, you can't separate loving God from loving people. They got to go together. God places such a high value on people that we are to place a high value on people as well. It is interesting when the religious scholar replies to Jesus, and Jesus' reply at the very end to this was, you're not far from the kingdom of God. It's like, yeah, you kind of get it, but you don't get it. Here's one possible reason. Look at the way he treated Jesus. Love God and love people. Well, here's what I want us to take away from this. Again, thinking about how easy it is for us to connect to church, easier than it is for us to really understand the person and foundation of our faith is in Christ. Because without even knowing it probably, we, we ask the same kind of question in our minds that the religious leaders were asking. What's the minimum? What's the minimum? Is it... Uh, Attend church twice a month, and God will be happy? Or is it three times a month? Or is it pray every morning before I eat breakfast? Maybe it's memorizing and repeating the Lord's Prayer. Is that what it takes for God to be happy? Well, Jesus said no. It's going to boil down to the worth you place on a relationship with God. And he said, here's the value and worth. Here's the value and worth. Everything. Everything. A couple of takeaways before we close. First, this should impact our hearts by reminding us love is relational and is determined by the worth you place on the relationship. Love is relational and it's determined by the worth you place on the relationship. You see, Jesus confronting people was doing so to get at the posture of their hearts. Oh yeah, you're saved because you can repeat all these different things and you have all these different laws, but do you really love God? 
Is, is that what it is? Or do you just want to have a bunch of rules that you can follow and have this self-righteous checklist? The love you have is revealed by the amount of sacrifice you're willing to give. If you sacrifice minimally, the worth of the relationship is small. The more you sacrifice, the higher the worth. What's the worth you place on your relationship with Christ? I'm going to step on some toes for a few minutes. Ronnie will have to clean it up when he gets back. Let's be honest. Attending church once a week places a pretty low worth on your relationship with Christ, doesn't it? Giving Jesus an hour of your life is pretty small. It's not really a sacrifice. What's the value you place on a relationship with the living God? The Christian faith is about a relationship with Christ. It's about a person, not an activity. It's about understanding the worth of the Savior of the world. And when you understand that, you're willing to give up everything. We do it imperfectly. But the posture of my heart is one of gratitude and love. Think of it with me for a moment. As I said, Jesus modeled to his followers what a priority for God would look like. So Jesus is the model of what the worth of a relationship with God should look like. Remember when Jesus, before he was arrested, was in the garden, said, Lord, take this cup from me if at all possible, but yet not my will be done, but yours. Complete, total sacrifice because of his love for God. The cross is the supreme expression of loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength and loving others. It's the cross that reveals this for us. And Jesus placed a high value of loving God the Father. He modeled it in his life. He talked about it as he walked with his disciples. And the love that he had with God was obvious. His desire to glorify the Father. His desire to love God with everything. The cross is the supreme expression of Jesus' love for us. What is the worth of that relationship? Well, Jesus becomes flesh and blood for the sole purpose of living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, so that you and I could have this relationship restored. It was sacrificial. It cost him his life. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that the righteousness of God could become ours. What's your worth and my worth? His death. Genuine love is about relationship. And relationship is affectionate. 
and the worth is seen. And let me say this this morning. Jesus knows when affections and faith are fake. He knows it. There was one time he was again engaging crowds and leaders. He said, these people honor me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me. Jesus knows when you're fake. Let's don't kid ourselves. So take the test. Jot this down if you want. Ask your spouse, your kids, your friends, and your parents. Does my life reflect a high value and worth on my relationship with God? Does my life reflect true love and sacrifice in the way I view Jesus? Does my life reflect a passionate pursuit of a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus? You know, it's interesting. Others around us can see it, right? We can kid ourselves. Second, the temptation for all of us is to focus on task versus relational development with Jesus. All of us are prone to religious scorekeeping versus relationship evaluation. Relationship evaluation is painful and it's hard. Religious scorekeeping, not so much. The issue that Jesus confronted them on is what is the place and the value of relationship with God? And church too long has sent the message that God really all he wants from us is to walk an aisle, pray a prayer that somebody tells you to pray, and then just make sure you attend church. That's not what God wants. All he wants us to believe in the Savior he sent that would atone for our sins and restore the broken relationship, yes. But that should drive a very passionate, sacrificial love for God. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's easier to have a bunch of rules to follow then examine and fight sinful hearts that compromise our love for God. I mean, tell me how to dress. Tell me how not to dress. Tell me what words to use. Tell me what words not to use. Tell me what to abstain from. Right? Give me all these different rules. And that's easier than spending time confessing our love for Christ isn't what it should be. Here's some distractors that crowd into your life and my life that we need to recognize first is busyness in life. Busyness in life disrupts the value we place on a relationship with God. Here's what I mean. How often does God get your leftovers? How often does God just simply get whatever you got at the end of the day, the week, the month. That, that's it. Hardly matches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he gets my leftovers, does it. Second, and this hits us in the church, 
Those that are followers of Christ have distractors for developing this deep relationship. It can be serving in church. You know, every time the church is open, making sure you're here and you're plugged in doing things. Probably something else Ronnie will have to clear up when he gets back. Should we do that? Absolutely. But that comes because I love Christ with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. But I don't substitute that for a deep, intimate relationship with God. Third, loving God intellectually over relationally is a distractor. The longer I'm a Christian, and I think if we're honest, most of us that have walked with the Lord, we know Bible verses really well. We can memorize and we can repeat them. We know the right doctrines, we know the wrong doctrines. We know the right things to think and the wrong things to think. And by doing that, we begin to love God intellectually more than relationally. You know what I mean? Guard against that. And then lastly, making your faith like a performance review. Making your faith like a performance review. Okay, did pretty well this week. You know, got a seven out of 10, must be pretty good. Here's some things I can work on, but you know, I did a lot of good things this week. I didn't, but we get our mindset that way. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. He said in Matthew chapter seven, Many will come to me and say, look at everything I did for you, paraphrasing again. Look at how I served you. Look at the things that I did. And he'll say this, depart from me. Do you know the word, what he says? Because I never knew you. It's not words. It's not actions. It's relationship. Finally, let me just say this. The last thing I think is a takeaway is the amount of love you have for God is directly revealed in the way you love others. The amount of love you have for God is directly revealed in the way you love others. Jesus said you can't separate the two. So when Jesus was confronted, he said love God with everything and then love people. What's it mean to love people? What exactly do you mean by that, Jesus? Well, again, in Luke chapter 10, he uses the story of the Good Samaritan to prove his point. But we only need to look at how Jesus loved people. And those that traveled with him were told to love people the same way he did. You and I, as we're followers of Christ, are told the same thing. Everybody has worth. They're created in the image of God. All have sinned and fallen short. All need restored. We have to love because everyone has been created with a worth. Everyone was invited into Jesus' life. And say, you can come in, but you can't come in. I'm not interested in talking to you. When he said, come and see, the door was open. Not all came. Not all were interested. He touched the leper. He hung out with prostitutes. He had dinners with tax collectors and sinners. He spent time with fishermen over scholars, 
shepherds were the first to know of his arrival on earth. No one excluded because he loved people. Jesus' followers, you and I, are supposed to live that same model in life. What's it look like to love other people? The way you love people should be drastically different than the world in which we live in. If Jesus truly is the person you love with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, how do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat those who really get under your skin? How about the waitresses? How about the store clerks? How about your neighbors, the elderly, even politicians? Ouch. How do I speak about people with differing views in me? Reflects my heart, doesn't it? The way you love your spouse, the way you love your children, your parents, and your grandparents should be shockingly different because you place a high worth on your relationship with Jesus and the way you treat others the way he did. That's hard. Yep. It's hard. I guess it comes down to this. Will you be willing to offer the same grace and mercy to others that Jesus offers to you. If you're an authentic follower of Christ, your passion and your priorities will reveal it, won't they? Not always, not perfect, but the pattern of your life will reflect it. If you're an authentic follower of Jesus, the high values you place on loving Jesus will be evident to everyone. There'll be no question. And if you're an authentic follower of Jesus, your life reveals an open posture of your heart to loving him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Imperfectly. We never do it perfectly. But again, the pattern of our lives will be unmistakable. Amen? We're going to share in communion in just a moment. This morning as we think about Jesus modeling for us what it looks like to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength and to love others. I think communion is a very vivid, vivid example of what that was like. Jesus, willing to die on the cross in obedience to the Father. Willing to be the one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice for sin out of love and obedience to the Father. Willing to shed his blood for you and I. That's what it looks like to love God and to love others. I'm going to ask the worship team and the ushers to come forward So as you get ready to share in communion this morning, this is something that we do in remembrance of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. This is something we do as an invitation and an obedience to Christ. He met with his disciples and said, 
as he had this last supper with them, take this bread and eat it. It's my body which is broken for you. Take this cup and drink it. It's the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins for you. Maybe a way you want to think about sharing communion this morning is to pause quietly, and I'm going to pray in a moment, and ask yourself, what is the worth and the value you have placed on your relationship with Christ? Does it need adjustment? Does it need some repentance? Maybe here this morning, this is all new to you. What we're going to share in doesn't save you. It reminds us of the salvation we have available in Christ. So if you're not a follower of Christ, I ask that you simply sit in your chair, maybe listen to God speak to your heart. If you have questions about what this relationship looks like, I'd be happy afterwards to try and pray with you and answer any questions. But for the rest of us, let's be honest before the Lord before we share in the cup. You can get up after I pray when you feel like it's time. Grab someone around you. Take communion together. But let's do so with a heart. Remembering Christ's example of love to the Father and to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for the way you interacted with these religious leaders, for how you modeled for us the very thing that you want is not rule following, but relational love. To place such a high value and worth on a relationship with you that our passions and our priorities of life reflect it. And that only happens when we realize that you first loved us. You willingly died. You willingly did that so that our broken relationship, our lack of value and worth we placed on that relationship could be restored. Meet us now in our hearts before you and draw us to yourself as we get ready to share in the taking of communion. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.